Right, we started last week on, uh, we, two weeks ago we started on the wife. Uh, we only did it one Sunday. We got it over with, right? But it's going to take me three to deal with the men. And Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we're going to go. But I want to talk about what a Christian husband's love should look like. Okay, normally it's coated with chocolate, it's got flowers and a card. But uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 and let's get down there, starting in verse 10. We'll read 10 to 14, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Judah, now this is the tribe of Judah. These are the elders of that tribe. They come up to Nehemiah, and they said, The strength of the bearer of burdens is decayed. The people who are working, carrying all the load... They're decaying, they're quitting, they're stopping. And there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversaries, these were their enemies, the Samaritans, they said, they shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst among them, among the, the Jews, and slay them and cause the work to cease. It came to pass, and when the Jews that dwelt by them came, and they said unto us over and over ten times, from all places, when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. No matter where you go, we're going to be attacked. Verse 13, Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and in the, upper, in the higher places, even I set people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and I rose up, and I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Don't let them discourage you. Remember the Lord. That's a good starting point which is great and terrible. It's an older word for terrifying. He's pretty awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. <coughs> we're very prone and we're, we're very, uh, we find it very natural to fight our families, fight in our families. It, it is in the Western world, it is a given that we fight amongst ourselves more than we fight against our enemies. I don't know why all that is, uh, uh, but for all, the, for all the, the problems in the home, our attention is focused on, on uh, seeing one another wrongly. And this person you fell in love with 10, 20 years ago and you wanted to live their life with, now the two of you just want to strangle each other. Now, how does that happen? Everybody's got their story. I just know this, the Christian's got to decide to rise up and fight for your family. <clears throat> now, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and as I said, and I always say, this is a personal record, like a journal of what Nehemiah thought, what he felt, and what he did, as he led those few families, a few thousand families, to reconstruct Jerusalem. Now, while they're doing it, never is it ever possible for you to do something for God without the devil pulling at you, fighting at you, nipping at you, uh, the worst kind of dog to me, there's two kind of dogs when I go door to door, there are two kind of dogs I'm scared of. The one I can't hear, that's waiting for me to get close. And the second one is a little terrier dog. You know why? Because that little terrier dog will sit there and and he'll nip your heel and he'll nip at it, nip it, and you just leave me alone. And the other dogs, I don't know, they kind of, you can scare them away or you run away or whatever. But the devil's the devil is, is nipping at, and he's biting, and he's devouring families. 
Now, the, the, the Jews had this, this enemy called the Samaritans. So when you read about, in the New Testament, Jesus and Samaria and the Jews uh, going around Samaria, it was for good reason. They had bad blood between them. There was a lot of history behind them. Aren't you glad Jesus loves enemies? So, Nehemiah uh, 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 sort of prepares the, um, that's not working, is it? <laughs> Nehemiah prepares the people with the attitude of don't be discouraged. Don't quit on your family. Don't quit on the, on the call of God for your life. And if there's anything the devil's going to try to do, and some of you are the testimony of it today, you come to church and you know all week all hell's broken loose. And you're still here. Amen. But let me encourage you, fight for your family. And that usually means on your knees. But I want to talk to you, talk to the gentleman this morning because it starts, gentlemen, with loving your wife. That's where our battle begins. Now, both you and your wife are human. She may not seem human sometimes, but both of you are human. That means both of you are messed up, broken, and sinful. Instead of both of you being spiritual, can I be quite honest with you? You are wicked in different ways. You're both selfish, sinful, arrogant, proud. I'm not proud. Well, there you go. <laughs> Self-centered, mean, hurtful, cold at times, fierce, angry at other times. Both of you fight and war, and as James says, you, you, you never win. And when somebody tries to intervene and help you, you turn on them. Now, people have survived marriage because of two things. There are two reasons why people have survived marriage for the last 6,000 years. One, because of biblical rules. I mean, you had limits. When you got married, you, there were things you couldn't do anymore. Amen? Amen? There were rules and there was society. They put the pressure on all of this flirting and all of this this, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, social media is a curse for the family. Uh, uh, the warning is that you get on that social media and you start, you start in there and all of a sudden a friend pops up from secondary school. You haven't seen her in 30 years. And she's single. And she starts texting you, messaging you. You accept her friends and she starts messaging you about the problems she's had in her life and you start ministering to her. It's a curse. That is of the devil. So, um, uh, both of us, husband and wife, uh, only, we only survive by, by having rules over what governs our mouth, what governs our thoughts, what governs our actions. And secondly, the enabling power of the Spirit of God. Now, the world has gotten rid of the rules. Anything goes now in a relationship. You can call anything a relationship now. And you can dump and pick up. I think dating, as many times as people, I'm just going to get off on the side every once in a while, so just hold on, okay? I think constantly dating and dumping and dating and dumping is only preparing you for marriage and divorce and marriage and divorce. It's not right. Not the, biblical, not the world's idea of dating. The world has gotten rid of the rules and Christians have grieved the Spirit of Christ, and so we don't know how to love our wives. So let's take a good, uh, this is how most guys try to love their wife. Normally they're kicked out, so they try to get back in. <laughs> and that's not how you love your wife with chocolates and, and uh, flowers. Uh, let me uh, fight for your family by loving your wife. And so we're going to take a look at what a Christian's, Christian husband's love ought to look like. Like, let's, let's, 
I got too many yells in there. Let's pray. Father, I am uh, overwhelmed because this is convicting. I'm guilty, God. Uh, I, uh, I'd rather preach on anything. But preach about things where I'm a failure at. So God, I pray you help me and help every here in this room, whether it's a, a wife or a, or a woman who's been burned or whether it's a husband and everything is falling apart. Lord, I pray we just listen and let you work in us what only you can do, and that is a miracle. God, uh, our, our kids, our generations, our wives, our families, our sanity needs help. And you've given that in the Bible. Forgive us for thinking that we need to go down to Eason's and buy every book on the family. Nothing wrong with reading about the family. Nothing wrong about reading about marriage and child training. But we, we got to start with your book. And if we're in your book, we might not need so many others. Lord, I think we need a hearing heart today and a grieving heart. So humble us, please, and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So what a Husbands' love should look like. If you go to, uh, go to Ephesians now, chapter 5. Ephesians 5. <clears throat> now, in simple words, I need you to run down to verse 25. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5, 25. Now, notice, this is not a teacher. Paul is not teaching He's commanding. Notice the comma after husbands. He's saying, husbands, have I got your attention yet? That's what the comma does. It stops you and goes, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, talking to me? Yes. Love your wives. It's a command. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, summed up, how does a husband, what is his love life supposed to look like? What is his love supposed to be compared to? It's as Christ loved us. Well, how did Christ see us? Well, he saw us when we, when we were not saved. You remember how interested you were in Christ? Remember how disinterested we were in anything that was really biblical? Yeah, we went along because mom and grandma took us to church and we did our duties and stuff, but our hearts weren't into it normally. Christ loved us when we were uninterested. Christ loved us when we were ungodly. Amen? I got one amen out of that. God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ loved us when we were uninterested. Christ loved us when we were ungodly. Christ loved us when we were disrespectful. When we trashed his name, when, when, when we blamed him and mocked him and blasphemed his name, he continued to love us. When we were unworthy, we couldn't do anything that could say, Lord, I, I, do I have your attention? Lord, isn't this awesome? I, I want to show you how great my love is for you. We had none of that. We were unworthy. You know what? That was us. Gentlemen, say amen. amen. Some of you are still there. That was us. Now, let me just be real honest. Yet Jesus loved us, didn't he? You know what Galatians 2.20 says? Go to Galatians. You're in Ephesians. Go back a couple of pages. Galatians 2.20. <clears throat> Galatians 2.20. Paul's bragging. What is he bragging about? I am dead. Not physically, but emotionally, 
I am dead to this world. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, here I am. I live. Yet not I, but Christ is living in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of, notes these next words, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a powerful verse. He loved me when I was uninterested, ungodly, disrespectful, unworthy. Is your wife ever like that? Gentlemen, is your wife ever like that? Don't say amen. <laughs> You'll be dead. But I think you need to, in your heart of hearts, start to think about, wow, Christ loved me like that. I need to love my wife when she's disrespectful, when she's just outright ungodly, when she's not worthy of my attention and my love, as Christ loved me. All right. <clears throat> so last week I've said two things. All right, a husband's love is a result of being spirit-filled. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 now. Before you ever get to the, the talk on the home, Paul talks about the heart. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, <clears throat> go to men and women, but let's talk to the men. Gentlemen, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You say, can't I drink a little bit? You know, if you're full of the Spirit, there's no room for drink. You're full of the Spirit. You don't need the drink. Amen? Come on. Well, I think I can drink. You're a fool. And I'll tell that to your face. I think I, I can drink and it'll be fine. Go right ahead. I'm just grieving over the desire that God's men would be filled with the Spirit of God and not with drink. Say, well, I'm, look, don't argue with me. Don't argue with God all you want. The Bible says, when a man is turning to drink because of his problems, maybe they're real, maybe many a woman has driven his man to, her man to drink. But the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> now, Galatians 5.22, say, why the Spirit? Galatians 5, because love is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, first thing is what? Is love. So, a Christian is not just someone who's saved. I'm saved, brother Ledbetter. I'm born again. Amen. But that's not all a Christian is. A Christian is constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You pour yourself out, you give yourself, you lose yourself, and then you get filled up again. Amen. That's the life of the Christian man. Do you want to know truly how to love your wife? Now, we forget this. But you, you learn to love your, 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 uh, your wife by tapping into the source for love. I said all this last week. A man who's not walking in the Spirit is walking in the flesh. And the flesh only has so much love and is usually selfish. So, <clears throat> second thing. A husband's love is the result of being Spirit-filled and a husband's love submits to God and to others. Look back there in Ephesians 5.21. <clears throat> 521, we went over this last week. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Why do you do that? Because I fear God. I do things because he's the boss, he's in charge, and I'll have to answer to him and it won't be nice. So a husband loves his wife because he's submitted to God and submitted to her. Now let me tell you what that means, all right? You know you're not submissive when you're arguing. <laughs> you know you're not submissive when there's contention. So we need to learn about how to be submissive to one another. A Bible-believing, born-again Christian husband is subject to two great powers over their life. They are subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ, 
and they're subject to the needs of, their, of his family. He does not do what he wants anymore. If you want to do what you want, stay unmarried. Amen. You want to go on, on trips and go see the, uh, the Bahamas and Thailand and, and go, to, uh, uh, go to Spain and spend all your money and go to all these different places, go right ahead. But if you get married, ball and chain. Amen. Yeah, I got your attention now. Whoop! Yes. You are subject to her needs. Amen. You're subject to the kids' needs. You can't just go, I'm going to go out with my buddies. Really? Really? I said all this last week. I wish I, sometimes I just wish I could preach the whole message over and over and over and over because I don't think anybody got it. <clears throat> but you better be subject to Jesus Christ under his rule. Uh, they ought to govern your life. The Bible says we're not our own anymore. You're not that way when you're, with, when you're a Christian. You're not that way when you're married, gentlemen. Now, number three, Ephesians 5, 25, we looked at that verse. Let me start back in verse 21. Let me just read through this down to verse 33, and we'll come back to verse 21, and I'll talk about this first point here. Ephesians 5, 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. It's settled. Even as Christ is the head of the church, unless you're in the Methodist church these days. Did you notice? Those Methodists over in England and over in uh, America have decided that women can be preachers and, and uh, homosexuals can be Christians and all this stuff. It's just, Christ is not the head of that church. Okay? He better be the head of ours. <clears throat> he's the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, here we go, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives like they do their own bodies. He that loveth his, li his wife loveth himself. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause, going back to Genesis 2.21, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So a husband and wife and their relationship shows a great relationship with us and God and Christ. Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, there's no exceptions, so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So go back to verse 25, and let's look at that thing. And it says, a husband's life, as I already said, first of all, a husband life, a husband's love life looks like being spirit-filled. Secondly, submits to God. Number three, sacrifices himself. Now, what does that even mean? <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, we usually only love to be loved. We love with an agenda. We seek to get our needs met, and that's all we think about. That's not all that wrong because we are designed with needs, and you get married because it's, it's okay, all right? Inside marriage, marriage bed's undefiled, amen? It's okay for you to want your wife. It's okay for you and your wife to be intimate. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with seeking to meet needs and to fulfill your, fulfill your needs. But when a man only loves to get his needs met, he's wrong. 
Christ loved at a loss to himself. That's what we're going to learn this morning. Now, when we talk about a husband's life sacrificing himself, we need an example. Go back to John chapter 10. You can uh, leave this place for a minute. John chapter 10. And we need an example of how to love like this. John chapter 10 and verse 15. John 10, 15, Jesus is speaking of himself, not as a husband here, but as a farmer, as a shepherd. <clears throat> but, the, but the principle applies, verse 15, And the Father knoweth me, even as I know, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but sheep don't seem very important to me. If I'm out in a field somewhere and I'm taking a walk, and I'm having a grand old time in, out on the ring of Kerry or in Dingo or whatever, and I see a pack of wolves coming up hungry for some sheep, I'm out of there. I just don't care about sheep. <laughs> but a shepherd cares. All right? Verse 17, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. What's he talking about? Love. He loves us. Who are the sheep? Us. Hey, Isaiah 53 says this, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We need an example. Um, there's no way to understand love as Christ loved, giving himself without Jesus showing us. To give yourself means this, to be the lover, to be the lover. <clears throat> Husbands, isn't that a nice command? Isn't that a neat command? Weston, love your wife. You know what he does? He smiles. <laughs> hey, man, it's a wonderful command. Would you agree? You don't know my wife. I don't care. It is a wonderful command. When the Bible says sacrifice yourself, it starts with the idea of love. Your wife needs to know and experience what love looks like, like from you. Not from Hollywood, not from Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise. What's a... Please! Anyway, <clears throat> your wife doesn't need to be romancing, uh, reading romance novels. Your wife needs you to be the lover of her. Now, that means you need to love her first. Not a, that may not make sense to you, but it means be the one that first loves. Let me take, go to Bible, go in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. You're in John, go to the right, go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. In verse 19. 1 John 4, 19. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You know, be the first to love your wife before she loves you back. That's what sacrifice means. Sacrifice means you risk going out of your way to love somebody who's sometimes unworthy, unresponsive, uninterested, angry, 
uh, ungodly, whatever. Love her first. The Bible says God commendeth. It means he abundantly gave his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You hear the sacrifice in that word, that verse? Christ sacrificed himself because he loved the ungodly. We have no excuse. Now, this is one directional love. It does not need, as a matter of fact, all of Ephesians chapter 5 is one directional work. I do not look at my wife and say, now, I will do this if you do that. I wish it would say that. It sure would help me feed my pride. But Ephesians chapter 5 is one directional. Whether she gets it or not, she's not there, so I can talk about it, okay? Whether she does it or not, I love her. Go to Jeremiah chapter 31. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. Now, Jeremiah is one of the most amazingly strange books in the Bible. There's only one book more strange, and that's Ezekiel. <laughs> but Jeremiah, in such grief and in such sorrow and in such destruction, Jerusalem was being destroyed before his eyes. He's recording it. He's watching what Nehemiah rebuilds. He's watching it fall apart. And he's watching people on purpose turning their back from God and fighting God and being judged by God. And in that, watch what God says, Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old throughout history unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with a what kind of love? with an everlasting love. I'm your lover. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Like reaching out to your wife's hand, just holding her hand, trying to draw her close to you. God says, that's what I do all the time. I love you. So gentlemen, go out of your way to be with your wife. Hold her. Play with her. Laugh with her. You do that, and she'll start to see maybe he does love me. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. You see, we gentlemen, when we read the Bible, it says husbands love your wives. You know what 90% of the men in this room do? Done. <laughs> Where's the tick box? Accomplished. Yeah, let me talk to your wife. <laughs> Ask her. John chapter 13, verse 34. <clears throat> John 13, 34. A new commandment give I unto you. Now watch this, that she love one another. I wish it stopped there, don't you, gentlemen? Because we could all claim, oh, I do love my wife. <clears throat> but he doesn't stop there. He says, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. <clears throat> all of a sudden, the whole tone, the view, the perspective, the understanding crashes to the ground because my attempt to love my wife is an abstract, utter failure compared to that. Amen, amen, and amen. Has Christ loved me? Uh, John chapter 15 now, verse 12. 15:12. <clears throat> this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It'd be a shame, can I be honest with you? It'd be a shame for somebody to come into this church 
and for you to go out of your way to be more friendly and more sweet, and more nice and more respectful to someone other than your wife. Amen. Ladies, that works for you too. But we won't talk to you. My wife says, last week you were preaching about the women again. <laughs> I snuck them in there. But, as I have loved you, Jesus said, be the lover. Don't be concerned about getting anything back. Now, that brings me to the next point. Be the loser. Now, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved, also loved the church and gave himself for it. Listen to the way the Bible talks about Jesus' attitude about himself. Galatians, you're in John, go to the right, go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. In verse 4. Galatians 1, 4. <clears throat> verse 3 he says grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who underline these next two words say them with me gave himself for our sins he didn't give money for our sins did he he didn't give his mother <laughs> for our sins he didn't give miracles for our sins he didn't give comfort for our sins what did he do he sacrificed himself that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. Ephesians 5 and verse 2. <clears throat> this is a, a, a constant phrase of the New Testament. Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 5 and verse 2. And walk in love. Live that way. As Christ also hath loved us and hath, two words, given himself for us, a sacrifice, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Titus, Titus to the right, Titus chapter 2, verse 5. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Nope. I think I mean... It's not Titus, it's Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Yep. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. I hate that. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You believe that, don't you? Well, look what it cost. Verse 6, who gave himself again a ransom for all to be testified in due time. One more. Now Titus. To the right, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. <clears throat> Start in verse 13. Titus 2, 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a, a peculiar people, Zealous of good works. Now go back to Ephesians. Gave himself, gave himself, gave himself, gave himself. Ephesians now, chapter 5, verse 25. Are you with me? Do you notice that repeat over and over? Here we are. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And there it is. Gave himself for it. 
Let me just say this. Jesus lost everything just to love me. That blows me away. That's why I'm born again today. That's why I actually went out to church, because I heard a soul winner tell me God wanted me, that Jesus loved me. See, I can hear about John 3, 16, God so loved the world, but when, my, when, when that woman put my name in John 3, 16, it shook me. Jesus lost everything. Let that sink into your heart. Jesus actually became poor so that his bride could be saved and become rich. 2 Corinthians. Go back to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> and verse 6. Oh, I say verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, yet for your sakes he became what? Did he willingly do that or was he kicked out of heaven, forced to do it? He willingly sacrificed and lost and gave up everything. Why? That ye might, through his poverty, might be rich. He lost so that we, who's the better? Who gained anything out of Christ dying on the cross? We did. He didn't gain a thing. Jesus Christ is none the better for me getting saved. Do you understand that? I bring nothing to him, and yet he loves me. So the next time you're wondering about your wife, and you're wondering about your relationship, whether it's worth it, let me tell you, God thought you were. Amen? God thought you were. He loved us before we ever loved him back. And guaranteed, that hurt. You know, the Bible says God grieves. God's not a rock up in heaven, unfeeling. It grieves him when his creation turns their back on him. And yet he loved us. He loved us when we rejected him. And when we, as a, as a human race, we crucified him. When he came into our world, he lost everything. He lost his glory. He had no glow. He had no power. He had no strength. You know what strength and power Jesus had? The power of the Holy Spirit of God. He didn't even have his own power. He shed everything of the deity that he was, and he set it all aside, and he lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power you and I can live by. So he gave it all up. He relinquished his riches. You know, think about this. He lost his relationship with his father for a brief time on that cross. He has to cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Why was he doing all that? for us. He gave up his righteousness and he willingly took on our record of sin. You gentlemen, you find out your wife's been embezzling money and robbing, a, robbing banks. <laughs> She's standing for the, the judge in a court there and they're about to pronounce guilty and you stand up there and you say, I'll take the blame. I'll take the punishment. I'll go to prison. That's what Christ did. And that's what a husband's love looks like. He's the loser, and she's always the winner. Does that make sense to you? No. <laughs> it needs to. <clears throat> he sacrificed his time. You know, he took the time to work everything out. You think how long it took for you to finally figure this thing out? God was patient. If I were God, 
I would have quit a long time ago. Amen? God takes time. Husbands, your wife's not responding. Your wife's not growing. Your wife's not helping. Your life's... It, take time. Sacrifice. And in the end, he sacrificed his own life. He not only loved us in life, but he loved us in death. You know what every, every woman used to yearn for? Oh, somebody who would sacrifice their life for them. It used to be like that. I don't know what women want today. But deep, deep down, throughout history, all the best stories are of a hero showing up and risking his life, coming and standing there in the front of the train, going to stop the train to protect the, the woman he loves, you know. Losing his life. You know where they got that from? Christ. Now, why do it? Why love a woman when it hurts so much? Because Christ commands us to love like we have been loved. I don't think many of us men know how much we're loved by God. I don't think. Men love themselves. And we think it's just natural for God to love us. Let me tell you, it took the cross to show you just how ungodly we are and how much God had to overcome to be able to love sinners like us. So we go ahead and love when it hurts and it costs us so much because Christ commands us to love like we've been loved. And secondly, because God honors our faith. You know, you do things God's way and what can you expect? God's results. You do things Dr. Phil's way and you can only expect Dr. Phil's results. Uh, God honors obedient faith and he rewards us supernaturally. Amazingly, surprisingly, you'll never be happier than when you learn. Now, this is not something you just switch on, gentlemen. This is something you're going to say, that's a command and it's something I've got to work on for the rest of my life so that I love my wife like Christ loves me. You'll never be happier. Fourth, <clears throat> a husband's love sanctifies his wife. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 26, and this is very practical. Verse 25 and 26 and 27 says these words. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, beautiful, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Speaking of the church and actually drawing attention to the wife. Now, what does it mean to sanctify our wife? Number one, it means to cleanse, to clean, to purify, to protect your wife from the things that defile her. Now, our wives and our families are constantly soiled. <clears throat> They're soiled by three great powers in this world. One, by Satan. You don't even have to do anything for the devil just to walk into your home and cause havoc. Amen? And bring nightmares. Our wives and our families get soiled by our, cu our culture. I mean, I don't understand it, but one sight of something can bring back a memory, can, can bring somebody down, can bring back hurt. Our culture, and by sin, sin soils us. And you know what's true about this thing? God gave your wife you to keep her clean. 
Amen. Now, Jesus is our sanctification. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and he's made unto us righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. But according to Ephesians chapter 5, a husband can actually sanctify his wife and family by cleansing her past, by washing away her hurts, by lifting her fears, and holding her in her weaknesses. Paul refers to it as the washing of the Word of God like water through their minds and their hearts. As a pastor, every Sunday I come, I try to get you in the Bible. Why? Because the Bible cleanses. The Bible washes. Just, just reading. You see, I don't get anything out of it. It's still, it's like a, it, it just cleanses you. Never should you come to church for information. I hope you come for transformation. Hope you come so that you come in and you get helped. But I can only do that on Sundays and on Wednesdays. But a husband can do it every day, throughout each day. It's a very rare thing for a dad or a husband to actually take the time and wash his family's spiritual feet. But that's what a husband and a dad is called to do, to wash out the spots all the soiled places in their past and the promises of God. You know what the devil wants? He wants to make it so that a man has failed so many times that a woman won't let him, can't trust him, doesn't ever let God use that husband to help her. Let me tell you, we need a reset button. It's called revival. We say, I need to let my husband minister to me again as flawed and as, as, as messed up as he will be because God gave you, wives, your husband to wash it with the watering of the, of the word. Do you know it's wonderful when a husband can, can go over the past and remind of the future and remind you of Romans 8, 28. For we know, and we know, that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. A husband can iron out wrinkles. Now, most of us, when we think of wrinkles, we think of these things across the skin, you know? And I guess women, women fear wrinkles Almost totally. <laughs> but wrinkles, you know what wrinkles are in a wife's life? It's jumbled thoughts. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's life is just like a, it, when, a, when, listen, when I get out of bed, I forget to make the bed. Amen? And when my wife sees that bed, you know what she says? Craig, help me make the bed. She does it. Just right back up there. She doesn't like to see it all messed up. But when a woman looks at her past, you know what she sees? Messed up. Messed up, man. I don't care who you are. You may be raised in a Christian home. You may be raised in hell on earth. But, you're, but a woman looks back and she sees nothing but wrinkles. And the husband needs to be able to get in there and, and knowingly, carefully, lovingly iron those things out. Man. Not that you understand them all, but you love her through it. God gave every wife in here a husband to help you think through things and not panic. Let your husband iron out those things to find, that you find yourself so worried about. You know, a woman thinks that by worrying, she's helping. Now, concern is one thing. Worry is a worse thing. It's not wrong to be concerned. All right? My wife had a sixth sense in seventh and eighth, too. But anyway, she had a sixth sense. She says, where's Joel? I go, I don't know. Man, she knew exactly. He was, he was doing something, and I had to run to go find him, man. And uh, uh, concern is one thing. Worry. Panic, anxiety, 
freaking out. That's another thing. Your husband's there to hold things together. Iron out the wrinkles. You know, that's what Christ does with us. He tries to give us peace when we're panicking. He, he tries to give us strength. You know, that's what the husband can do in your home if you let him. Gentlemen, look at what it says there, verse 27. Well, look at verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. You know, a man's words can really calm a wife if they're right. But especially the word of God, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Think about a beautiful church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without spot or blemish. <clears throat> it is a husband's job to help his wife to be beautiful on the inside. It is a dad's job to let his children experience love before they ever get on the world and try to find it in another man. It is a man's responsibility to show his wife and his kids what love is. That's a tall order. Let me say this. One of the great gifts we can give back to God are our wives and our children clean and strong and prepared for him to use. That's what a man can give back to God. Uh, I'll teach you this next week. Whether you like it or not, your wife is the gift from God. Amen. Say, well, I think I made a mistake. When you married her, you didn't make a mistake. It's done deal. God says, that's the one. <laughs> and according to the Bible, she's a gift from God. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And that's dealing with marriage, not with the perfect woman. Just the fact that you got married, God put you together, don't undo it. We got this gift from God and our wife. Every one of our children are gifts. The greatest gift we can give back to God is those precious people in your life clean and ready to serve and, and be used by God. Now, what's a man's love life look like? It'll look spirit-filled. It'll be submitted or yielded and yielded to God and to others. It will sacrifice ourselves. It will live to sanctify our wife and family. I thought about this next week, ladies. Stay tuned. It will satisfy your wife. It will learn how to be sorry for failures regularly, and it will be steadfast and even growing throughout the years. That's what a man's. And I got this picture. This is my favorite picture of all time. <clears throat> Somebody gave me this picture. I actually had it on my wall. I had to take it down because I put something else up there. This thing, I've, got, I've had it for 30 Seven years. When I got saved, somebody gave me this thing, and it's, it's basically a picture when I come home to heaven. And it's a picture of me, go to the backside, meeting Jesus. And I can't wait. You know why, you know why that is so precious to me? Because I know it's true. And this sinful wretch of a failure is going to go and sense and experience the love of Christ, unworthy as I am. And it reminds me I need to have that kind of love for my wife every day. So, how does your love life look? I know most of you won't even try. I will, you won't even try. You, uh, it's uh, you're uh, too much effort. You know, I, if I had a three-point sermon and I says, all right, just go buy her flowers, get her chocolate regularly. You know what they say about when a wife's upset, throw her chocolate. That's all they say, you know. Just keep throwing her chocolate. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's a lot of work to love your wife. A lot of people won't even try. But don't you think we should? 
Don't you think that your wife deserves a better kind of love than we currently are showing? I'm not in your home, but if I was, you probably would be embarrassed, and I would too. We've got a lot of work on, gentlemen. It starts with a revival. To actually have this command, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, there is no other religion on this planet. There is no other statement of faith that touches the heart of a man like that Bible does. Every other religion forces a wife to be submissive and to be subject to her husband, forces the children and forces everybody to be under a rule of, 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 of iron and to, be, and to put the husband first and to give all honor to the husband, to let him and his buddies eat first. And even cultures around this world, the wife is the last one to eat. Husband's first, the kid's second, and then the wife has to eat the scraps. In your book, the Bible says the husband gets last. Now that's crazy. And yet that's love. I think we don't know how to do it, do we? The command's there. The only thing that's missing is the desire. Can we pray for the desire this morning? Can we ask God? I help my wife see real love instead of me. It'll come when you want to love like Christ loved you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you with, uh, with frustration. Because there's no whiz-bang this morning. There's no... No way to make this easy. It's terrifyingly costly to try to do things your way. Unfortunately, our wives have had to put up with our way too long. Our children have had to put up with dads that aren't like Christ. And this world is missing a great picture. If the world could look at Christians and see Christ loving his church, the world would be beating down our door. But the world thinks they got a better idea of love. And really, compared to our homes, it's going to be hard convincing them. So God, I pray for every person in this room, I ask that you forgive us. Pray like Hezekiah. I pray, Lord, please forgive your people. We have not loved as we are. We have not really compared ourselves with the love of Christ and looked into this Bible and seen just how much you have lost just to love us. We're sorry. We're sorry that we've tried to do it our own way, and no wonder we failed. At least I am. I pray that our wives, our children, and all for the rest of our lives would just experience a better dad and a better husband because of Christ. Let that be real in Jesus' name. Amen.